Chair, staff is ready when you are. Good evening, and welcome to this September 6, 2023 Sacramento Disabilities Advisory Commission meeting. This meeting is now called to order. Will the clerk please call the roll to establish a quorum? Thank you, Chair. Commissioner Chan? Here. Commissioner Crespin? Here. Commissioner Kramer? Absent. Commissioner Mercer? Present. Commissioner Tucson Boyd? Present. Vice Chair Crowley? Present. And Chair McMillan? Present. Thank you. We have a quorum. This meeting is also virtual via Zoom. For members of the public who wish to join, please refer to the agenda for the Zoom link. Once you have joined the meeting and wish to speak, raise your hand to provide public comment when the chair confirms the public comment speaking period for your desired item. Online, if you're online, click raise your hand at the bottom of your screen. If you're coming in on a mobile app, you can raise your hand by tapping on the raised hand option under the more tab. If you're calling in via telephone to raise your hand, dial star nine, then unmute or mute, dial star six. Speakers will be called, called on by the last four digits of their phone number. You will have two minutes to speak once you are called upon. We will now proceed with today's agenda. Please stand for the land acknowledgement. To the original people of this land, the Nisi Nam people, the Southern Maidu, Valley and Plains Miwok, the Putwin Wintoon peoples, and the people of the Walton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe, may we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in the act of practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Thanks. Commissioner Mercer, will you lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. First business today is approval of the consent calendar. Consent calendar consists of the minutes of our last meeting as well as the follow-up log. We often do these separately if they want there's separate discussion. Are there any uh, members of the public who wish to speak on the consent calendar? Thank you, Chair. I have no speaker slips and no speakers with their hands raised on this item. Thank you. Are there any commission members who'd like to speak on the consent calendar or the minutes? If not, could I get a motion to pass? 
motion to pass the minutes. I think Brandy wants to say something. Me. Sorry. My fault. Commissioner Tuzon Boyd. So the print agenda and the online agenda neither indicate the follow-up log. Yeah. Um, I don't have a copy of last month's to compare, but I'll make sure that the... It was on last month, agenda. it's not on this month. Okay. So, um, thank you for noting that. Commissioner Mercer. Yes, um, I noticed on item four, it talks about the review of the draft uh, Disability Advisory Commission report to City Council, and it says uh, that we will review and uh, pass a motion forwarding it, but we tabled it, and um, I just wanted to know what was going on. Yes, it's a mess on the agenda for this month. I'm hoping we can bring it up in member comments. That's fine. And get it adjusted for future meetings until we're done or ready to submit it. With those two um, acknowledgements and adjustments, um, can I get a motion to pass? Motion to pass with the amendments and adjustments as noted. Get a second. That's Vice Chair Crowley. Can I get a second? Second. It'll vote, please. Thank you, Chair. Um, Commissioner Chan. Yes. Commissioner Crespin. Abstain, I was not present in the last meeting. Commissioner Kramer. Absent. Commissioner Mercer. Commissioner Chuzon Boyd. Epstein. Vice Chair Crowley. Aye. Chair McMillan. Aye. And the motion did not pass. We only got four. Four out of six. So is that not enough to pass? Yes, we'll need five to pass. Five for a quorum. It is four out of six. Oh, it is four. Okay, so motion passes. I apologize. have a few um, items on the um, agenda today um, I just I thought I'd throw this out in front maybe it's member comments but I'll throw it out in front that 
Um, I'm going to ask Mr. Jesse Gotham here to introduce himself to the Commission members as, our, as he is our new contact. So um, it wasn't agendized, so sorry about that, but I would like you to just say hello to you. got two minutes. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you, uh, Chair McMillan, for uh, giving me this opportunity to introduce myself. So I'm Jesse Gothman. I'm with our Public Works Department Engineering Services team division, and I'm the supervising engineer over funding and project development. So I'm um, here with some of my illustrious colleagues today who are presenting some of the projects um, that we work on. We work on uh, many, many capital improvement projects, largely are uh, funded by um, grant funds. So um, happy to be here, happy to uh, assist the commission as you advise on um, our projects and our implementation and other items. So uh, thanks for giving me this opportunity. Well, welcome and thanks for being here. If you learned something today, it's you're in with a pretty passionate group. So um, let's go on with the discussion calendar. Um, first item up is the Franklin Boulevard Rehabilitation Project. Do I have a presentation? Thank you, Lee. Thank you for the for allowing me to present to you all today. Uh, my name is Kelly Lacey, um, Department of Public Works, Assistant Civil Engineer. This is my second time presenting to the commission, so just bear with me with the nerves, but happy to be here again. Okay. This one. This one here. These microphones or this microphone? Oh, this is fancy. Okay, great. All right, so once again, thank you. I'm presenting to you the Franklin Boulevard, otherwise known as the Franklin Boulevard Gap Closure Project. All right, so getting into it. So the Transportation Corridor Program has evolved over the last few years as a streamlined effort to implement active transportation elements within the city's street network while prioritizing areas identified for pavement rehab needs. This program is funded with Senate Bill or one SB1 Road Maintenance Rehab Account Funds. The city's transportation corridor project applies a rehab strategy to improve pavement conditions, address safety concerns, integrate active transportation elements, and apply upgraded technology solutions. So shown on the right side of this slide is a location map for the project. The gap closure project limits are Franklin Boulevard from A Parkway to Mack Road. It's a four-lane arterial road that receives about 27,000 vehicles a day. Um, there's residential homes, apartments, as well as commercial businesses along here. The photo on the left shows the existing wide travel lanes alongside a really narrow bike lane. Um, these travel lanes range from 10 feet to 17 and a half feet along the corridor. So the existing bike facility is a regular six-foot bike lane. Um, these lanes encourage speeding. That can be intimidating for people to ride so close to traffic. Um, it's also not the appropriate bike facility for the street. Uh, the chart on the right is from the Sacramento's Bike Master Plan, uh, which provides guidelines for the appropriate bike facility based on the traffic volumes of the street and the posted travel speed. So 40 miles an hour speed limit on this street the bike lane should either have a buffer creating distance or just be separated with vertical elements. In the case of this project, we're going to go with the buffers. So with this map here, so this is the project connectivity map. 
So this project, um, Franklin Boulevard is a very long street connecting through Curtis Park at Broadway all the way down to Elk Grove. Uh, outlined on this slide are five projects along Franklin that span from Sutterville Road to Consumers River Boulevard to the south. These projects have been proposed or completed on Franklin Boulevard to create corridor-wide appropriate bike facilities and accessibility improvements for pedestrians. So the current conditions of the project involve wider than standard travel lanes, um, curb ramps that need improvements, a pedestrian landing at Forest Parkway on Franklin Boulevard, as you can see here, is in dire need of some ADA improvements. Um, and this photo on the left is that landing. Uh, at minimum, it's missing truncated domes, a nice little concrete barrier. So this is kind of what we've proposed. Uh, this plan is currently with the county, so we're kind of waiting on feedback for them as far as how they want to move forward. But this is what we are proposing so far. So of their proposed improvements, we have curb ramp improvements, microsurfacing, striping, travel lane narrowing, buffer bike lanes, and signal improvements. Um, of these signal, signal improvements, um, these include audible signals, um, video detection for cars and bikes, vehicle and pedestrian displays, and the ped landing mentioned in the previous slide. So for this project schedule and budget, so we're anticipating contract award 2024. Don't know if that's spring or summer. Um, begin construction 2024 and end by 2025. Project budget at this time is 3.5. I left off a zero, but that's supposed to be 3.5 million. <laughs> um, and that kind of concludes this short and sweet presentation. Thank you again. Um, and I'm open for any questions. Thank you for the presentation. Um, I thought I saw it on the map, but um, parts of Franklin Boulevard are not in, within the city limits, I believe. So am I right on that? It is. You are. It is in both. It is within the city limits and within the county limits. So, yeah. So my question was, you coord coordinating the county to do their part of the rehabilitation or does it go city then it goes oh we're in the county now we're back in the city yes. how's, how's that work so it's some interesting coordination um and i might direct to megan on this one but to my understanding since we have the projects we hope that they will support us in in whichever way that looks like in repairing or i guess improving that pet landing they also have you know the striping and the bikeway markings and things like that um, but for now, we're just kind of trying to figure out what that looks like, who's doing what, who's playing what role, and when we get probably right now, we're at about, we're still in the preliminary, so I don't have an exact answer for you, but that is how we will move forward. Do you want oh, me to add some absolutely. extra context? Yes. Hi, I'm Megan Johnson, senior engineer. Um, so as you noted, Franklin Boulevard, the county city line kind of wiggles in and out along the length. And so um, we've, we work really collaboratively with the county and as they've had resurfacing projects in their segment, um, we've worked with them on coordinating the bike facilities and the ADA uh, pedestrian facilities to make sure that there's corridor-wide consistency. And then within this project uh, limits itself, 
the county line runs like right down the middle. And so we've been coordinating with them on that and they've been really good partners in it. Com Commissioner Crispine. Thank you, Ms. Lacey, for your excellent presentation. Had you not told us you were nervous, I would not have had any <laughs> idea. Let's keep up the good work. I have a couple of questions for you. Okay. One is the curb ramp improvements. So this is pretty near to where I live, and, and I did drive it this afternoon on the way over here. I noticed that the ramps were very steep mm -hmm. from a pedestrian standpoint. Is that what we're going to be working on, is that the steepness of those ramps, it's not quite so extreme? Yes, their okay. steepness, their length, so they can match that 48, the level, and then some of them don't have even truncated domes at this time, so just gonna knock all of those out in this project, yes. Okay, great. And then from my 11-year-old who was driving this with me, he said, there are poles right in the middle of the sidewalk. How are you going to move those poles? I realize you're not gonna move the poles, but what is the solution? So for the sidewalks, this project does nothing curb and gutter to back of walk. It is just within the roadway. The only thing on the sidewalk that we're touching are the curb ramps. Okay, so we can't expand those sidewalks to make room for a wheelchair or a mobile device of some sort. Those poles are going to remain square in the center of the sidewalk. At this time, but yeah, they are not part of this project in the future, possibly. I don't know if it's the next presentation. Oh, you may see me again, you know, I have the pool moving project or pool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there were quite a few. There yeah. were several, at least half a dozen in that. Some poles, some um, manhole covers. We noticed it when we went out to, to look at the street. Absolutely. Good. Well, I'm excited about the project. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Vice Chair Crowley. Am I unmuted? Yes. Oh, great. Okay. Thank you. Whoever did that. Okay. So in your presentation, you identified the pavement, safety, and tech. Yes. And what I'm hearing is that some of the things have already been discussed. Um, the wide lanes is not, is everything leading up to the sidewalk? So the wide, the lane is just the road. Yes. This is a road closing the gap closure location on Franklin Boulevard is the road collaboratively with the county that's being improved. That's what this presentation was on. Just to clarify the optics of what I'm looking at. So in terms to answer your road question. Um, For pavement, really, is the question is pavement is referring to not the sidewalk. Yes. Are you, the gap closure is um, closing the gap in between the, the neighboring projects that bike connected. Oh, the neighboring, pro okay. Yes. Thank so, you for that. Absolutely. Okay, the neighboring projects, and that's why the map that we're looking at is the neighboring projects. Yes. This is closing the gap on all these extended projects along the length of Franklin. Yes. So improving those curb ramps there, the buffered bike lanes there, and the signal improvements there. Yes. Okay, and so that's what I was going to hit on. It, so now that I understand the pavement gap part of it, um, the resurfacing is what Commissioner Crespin and you were just discussing, right? The, the, the safety issue related to the weird elevations and things are going to be mitigated. Yes, so base repair, um, fixing those. I know some of those curves have some real... Yes. Just around them, like right there when you turn the corner on several parts of the corridor. Yes, so we'll be working to make that road nicer. And so my dad was an engineer, structural engineer, and he used to say, 
If a road or a structure in any city of the world is designed well, mm -hmm. then technically, if you follow the speed limit, mm -hmm. the vehicle, the bicycle, the scooter, or the person walking could cruise because the road will take you where you need to go. Mm -hmm. That was his tidbit. So I, I always have that in the back of my mind, mm -hmm. that that's a big task for improving civilization, right? Yeah, roads. So, so here we are at this age of civilization, and a lot of times, that picture, if you could go to that slide where you had the curb ramp, because that's the part where the vehicles, the pedestrian, and the, I call it the moving walkway of the world, all coincide, and it's the most important safety concern, right? So this is where the next generation of citizens of, of Sacramento have to see a change, and I didn't hear it, but I saw it on the slide, and okay. that's what I wanted to ask about. So thank you for everyone for being patient for me to get here. The curb cut that was associated with it, which is like this proposal, there are, the gold standard I think is the way that the Sac City uh, on J Street how Sac City and that intersection is handicap accessible and pedestrian accessible and all of those things. There's so many different, it's like a case study for me anyway, anytime I watch presentations. You mentioned, besides the curb cut, right after you mentioned that and you were talking about video detection. But what happens on these curb cuts in this sort of example when we see improvements, so the money has been spent and all of that, the signals then are up to the citizens in that area to have to then, with 311, deal with traffic or build up a certain amount of calls before the city can look to it. So I was wondering from the tech component, is there any existing thought within Public Works to address the tech now so that the positioning of these traffic signals or whatever the county or city comes together with to address once that truncated domes are there, the visual, the auditory, the higher tech things uh, don't always get addressed. If we see a traffic signal go up, there's a standard way to address it, and the police are always, or the traffic controls, always have something ready to fine or ticket everyone. But what happens in the disability community is that we then come to like a commission like the DAC on the county level or with the city, and then we're saying, but you all missed the enlarged sign because the arrow is pointing to the wrong direction. So is there some internal uh, check and balance for not just the curb cut because it looks prettier, because that's the design part, but the practicality of this design means when a person who's walking, a person with a wheelchair, a person with a stroller, uh, a person who has a mobility device that's motorized, and um, a group of people um, with white canes, you know, that need to cross. Varying speeds, varying tools. So when you, if you wouldn't mind going to the slide of the uh, redesign of that curb, the black and white schematic, this one. Mm -hmm. So it shows the engineering side, but the tech part to me is missing. Who in the department is dealing with the tech part? Not, not to be facetious of it, but yeah, there might be a pole in the road, but in this case, there's gonna be signals placed here that usually I'm finding after being on the deck, we end up having to backpedal because the tech is not caught up to the design. There's a flaw there. So is there something that is being considered by the city and the county or is that something you need our advice on? 
I can say that information is not readily available to me. That would be best suited for our electrical um, staff. And I say that I'm mechanical. This is civil. That is way outside. Um, but for this project, I can say we do have audible signals. Um, our electrical engineers do a wonderful job of trying to incorporate the things that they need to do into our projects. Um, I see Megan standing right next to me. Yes. She'll probably answer a little bit better. But, um, but to in short, I'm not sure. Okay. I will pass. Thank you. <laughs> I actually think you did a great job answering that. Okay. So well done. Um, yes. Yeah, so with this project, you're right. The visuals always show better for the kind of civil concrete improvements. Like Kelly mentioned, we are going to be taking this opportunity using this project as a mechanism to bring all of our signals up to current standards. And so, like she mentioned, that will include um, audible detection. We make sure that the pedestrian heads with the countdowns are all brought up to um, current standards. Um, and so we do use it as an opportunity to tweak and update our signals. Now, any feedback that you have is certainly welcome and would be shared with our electrical folks as well. May I follow up with that briefly? Of course. Does the electrical side of public works have the like a standard schematic? Because you were mentioning the length of this. This is one. This is filling a gap, closing the gap on a larger project so that there is uniformity. Mm -hmm. So, um, is there a document that can be shared with the DAC so that we can give feedback to the electrical department? For lack of a better word, I'm just reflecting back what I understand. There's a department that exists. Mm -hmm. that's going to look at modernizing for this entire project, not just the gaps that we're talking about, for the pedestrian and other electrical devices. But I'm focused specifically on where citizens with disabilities are crossing, not so much the vehicles. That's the safety component. That's always the concern. Is there a person, a contact person or a template that we can have access to so that that can be part of our review to then give feedback for those of us who um, like to research things and support the city's decisions. I'm actually not sure if there is a specific document. Jesse, are you aware? It uh, sounds like you're, you're alluding to just the electrical and signal design standards. That related to ADA. Yeah, related to. There's like to a national standard, but Yes. yes. So there's the manual of manual on uniform traffic control devices, which and is, that is used is what I'm getting at. That, as that's the kind of that's kind of the um, leading document okay. that we always strive to uh, achieve. And that's available online. Absolutely. That's all available online. And so what I'm thank you for that. My comments are over because I will um, email in the appropriate ways because uh, that document's only useful as to the city that's applying it and the community that's applying it. So to Commissioner Crespin's point, there are some subtleties about when citizens see a pole mm -hmm. or a light or a sign, and each variation, whether they're uh, neuroatypical, sensory processing um, issues come up, uh, not issues for the person, issues for the design, and then that leads, that's something that can be mitigated through the DAC now and then recommended so that, um, when all of this is being implemented, 3.5 million is a great budget. Um, it's a small amount of time, our, our work effort, 
to be able to. So I am vested in those sorts of things, and I'll share more in our, my commissioner comments, but just wanted to flag that as my lengthy, I think, to everybody, to allowing me that time. It's an important project upgrade. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Mercer. Yes, I'd just like to go over and second what um, what Member Cowley has said. That um, I think going forward, it would be half. It would be helpful in the presentations from staff if we could include that information, because for just about every one of these meetings that I've been in as a new commissioner, we've had a project like this, and those things um, are are as important as the curb cuts very often to um, going over and, and making sure. And so I would certainly like to know over about that. Um, the other thing I wanted to go to back to was something that um, uh, Member Crispin uh, highlighted about there being barriers over in the middle of the sidewalk and that's not being addressed. Um, and I think that that's troublesome because that's an area that has a very um, high amount of pedestrian traffic and a lot of people who are using things like walkers, wheelchairs, uh, assistive devices. Um, and uh, I know that this is not your decision. You're coming here as staff, and I'm very pleased with how you've presented yourself here, but I'm not pleased with hearing that because that's a significant, that can be a barrier. and. Yes, people can go around with wheelchairs, but having gone over and, and uh, operated my husband's wheelchair over in places, going over and having to go over and sashay about things um, is, um, can lead to accidents, problems, running into stuff. So, my two cents. Thank you for the feedback, by the way. Absolutely appreciate it. Commissioner on Boyd. Thank you for your presentation. Um, just to follow up on those two uh, comments by my fellow commissioners that we're not just talking about mobility devices or mobility aids, we're also talking about those who are visually impaired and so having obstacles in the middle of a walkway even if the walkway meets that standard by having the width um, to pass is problematic because I think very few people who are unseen or have visual impairments um, anticipate a pole in the middle of the walkway. So um, it does seem to make sense that if we're going to improve the ramps to and access in that sense and timing to cross the roadways that um, access on the sidewalks themselves would also be included. Um, I heard that the city is partnering with the county um, to streamline accessibility on this corridor. Um, is there any possibility that the county will not come to play and that there will be gaps um, left behind once the city does its portion? Ooh, I hope not, you know. <laughs> so the county has actually already completed their portion of the corridor and so we're coming in to close the gap between the county's projects. So uh, they're actually looking to us to finish it up. Yeah. Okay, in the presentation I heard that it was up to the county and so or uh, you were depending on the county for something. So. so there's a portion of this project where the county line runs down the center of the roadway. Okay. And so we're collaborating with them on 
since it's within, since half of the street is within their right of way, we need to make sure that they are on board with what we put in. Um, but there's no reason to think they won't be. Um, there, we have shared vision. Fantastic, thank you. Thank you, commissioners. Is there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have zero speaker slips and one speaker online with their hand raised. The first speaker is Peter's Tech. Peter, please go ahead. Can you hear me? We can. My apologies, I was having a tech issue. But, um, Mr. Chair, members of the Commission, my name is Peter Mendoza, and uh, I'm with the State Council on Developmental Disabilities Sacramento Regional Office. But actually, for these comments, I'm going to speak a little more as an individual. I navigate the area on Franklin that we're referring to primarily from the Franklin light rail past Franklin and Valley High. I have friends, but people with them without disabilities who live in the area and I also travel uh, there for work occasionally. Uh, I'm pleased that the accessibility modifications are being done uh, improving the, the accessible curb ramps and the uh, traffic lights and intersections. I think that's wonderful. I want to commend the city and the county. However, I am very concerned um, that the, if I heard staff correctly, this is going to address sidewalk improvements and to navigate either side of Franklin Boulevard between the Franklin light rail and um, much of that sidewalk is not in very good repair. There are parts of the sidewalk where the sidewalk dips down. So there's a slope. So people like me who have trunk support issues fall over in our chairs and it's very painful. It's really difficult to navigate. So um, I would just like this uh, commission to consider rec making a recommendation to the city that they also prioritize sidewalk improvements. Thank you very much. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for your comments. Chair, I have no other speakers. Right, well, thank you very much for being here tonight. It was very informative. Uh, moving on to our next uh, presentation, the uh, City of Sacramento's ADA self-evaluation and transition plan, plan update, community outreach. Phil. Well, good evening, Chair McMillan and commissioners. It's my pleasure to be here with you guys this evening. Um, I'm sure I think most of you know this already. My name is Philip Boulier. I'm a senior engineer with the Department of Public Works. 
I'm here today to talk to you guys about the Department of Public Works ADA self-evaluation and transition plan update. Uh, the Department of Public Works has an existing self-evaluation and transition plan, but they are getting quite long in the tooth, and these documents are in fact living documents that require upgrade periodically. We have initiated the process to beginning updating both the self-evaluation and the transition plan. Now, the engineers, myself, Jesse, Megan and Kelly, we, we do like to think of ourselves somewhat as uh, ADA uh, requirement experts. Every single CIP project we do has ADA improvements that are required uh, just by virtue of the fact we're doing work in the public right away. But when you begin an endeavor such as this, uh, self-evaluation and transition plan update, you're really looking at the city from a thousand foot level. You're looking at the entirety of the public right of way within the city of Sacramento. And so we needed to go out and contract with some specialists to take on this endeavor. And I have here with me today Sarun Sinosian uh, with SCS Engineering. Uh, they are very much an expert in this field and doing self-evaluations and transition plan updates for public agencies. Um, so it's my pleasure to uh, introduce her and she's gonna give you guys a little presentation and then we will both be available for any questions after the presentation's complete. So being the committee or the commission that you are, I am going to talk about something with which you have some familiarity. Um, the uh, reason I'm here is to initiate the public outreach process for the update for the ADA transition plan for the public right-of-way. So um, initially I'd like to have you take a look at some demographics from the CDC. We used to talk about disability differently. For example, uh, when I first started uh, working as a consultant, uh, as an ADA access um, consultant expert, uh, people used to talk about how people using wheelchairs, people with severe mobility impairments, um, were about 5% of our population. Well, we, we, don't, we don't look at numbers that way anymore. We're, we're far more advanced in how we look at ambulatory disabilities in general. This graphic, I think, is quite interesting in that it really parses out not only mobility impairments, but the different types of disabilities that can also include disabilities that mean ambulatory disabilities. I recently uh, was looking at some statistics that stated that out of all people with all disabilities, medical, uh, vision, hearing impairments, 49.6% also have ambulatory disabilities. So these groups are actually very interesting as well. It just tells you about our society in general and how disability is is, is as prevalent as, as it is. So we're going to talk today about, or I'm going to talk, I guess, about the Americans with Disabilities Act. I think people see it as something that was a starting point, but in reality, what it actually did was take existing federal regulations and expand them to cover everything. So in 1961, th that was the first time we had actual requirements for maneuvering clearance, for clear floor space, for reach ranges. Those same dimensions are in use today under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Those previous federal standards applied to federally uh, funded facilities, whereas the ADA has expanded the requirements to all facilities that serve the public. So if you look very closely at the ADA, it is 
in five different sections or titles. The first title involves employment. The second, public entities like the city. The third, places of public accommodations. Now that, that term is oftentimes a bit confusing to people. What that means is places that the public can go, but they are privately operated, privately funded. So different than those that are provided by the city or by a county or by a state agency. So the other two sections also, uh, well, Title IV actually um, talks about and covers telecommunications in general and everything else is under Title V. The definition of disability on the federal level and on the state level is very different. In fact, these are just two areas in which, uh, two definitions that are a bit different. There are further definitions in California in addition to FIHA. So under the ADA, an impairment has to substantially limit a major life activity. A major life activity are things like walking, running, eating, sleeping. But in California, under the Fair Employment and Housing Act, FIHA, they don't have to substantially limit a major life activity. They only have to limit that activity. It's a very different threshold for definition of disability and coverage in terms of perhaps discrimination that may occur. And in, under the California definition, these same second and third definitions also apply. Having a, a record or a history of an impairment, which means you may have had cancer in the past. You may have had a disability in the, pa in the past but no longer do. You still have a record of that impairment, which means that the ADA still provides protection for you. Um, and it is much the same as being regarded as having an impairment. That could be a situation in which uh, a person has a child with a disability. And because that person has a child, they are treated differently. They experience discrimination. The ADA covers them as well. And so does California law. So uh, ADA Title II entities have specific requirements under the ADA. One is to complete a self-evaluation which means they're gonna look at their programs and services and activities and the policies and practices that govern them. That's been finished. They need to develop a grievance procedure, so some way for those who feel they've been aggrieved, that they, they have an issue, um, can file uh, that grievance and it can be uh, looked at, handled, and uh, in some way solved. Next, there has to be someone that this information goes to, someone responsible for this. And I think that you've met him at this point. He is the uh, person that's going to be responsible for this plan. Um, and then the last area that uh, we're gonna talk about today is how a transition plan is supposed to identify physical modifications. That is currently underway. So under the ADA, there is a very short section that provides the minimum requirements for an ADA transition plan. And they are number one, as we talked about earlier, identify physical obstacles. Number two, the way in which they'll be removed, the methods. Number three, a schedule that identifies steps that'll be taken each year of the transition period until barriers are removed and the person responsible. Now, this chart, is one that was developed um, due to a need. The Division of State Architect here in California 
understood that people would look at the ADA and read about transition plans and not have any idea what they really meant. And so they decided they needed a flow chart to try and help people understand the complexity of this process. And this is really an abbreviated version of what the real process entails. But even though it's abbreviated, you can see how complex it is. It's, it's not a simple process, it really isn't. So this is just a glimpse. So one of the requirements under the ADA for an ADA transition plan is to perform public outreach. So this is not only a situation where people with disabilities are asked for their input. All interested persons are actually supposed to be able to provide input on an ADA transition plan. So everyone that uses city facilities hopefully will provide input. It's an important process and that's why I'm here today, is to talk about that process. Because as Philip said, an ADA transition plan is not set in stone. It's a living document and it will change. It may change every year. It may change more than once a year due to many reasons, due to the needs of, of the inhabitants in the city, due to changes in the guidelines or the codes or case law that determine what physical barriers are for many reasons. So the term program accessibility, this is something that is a very important thing to public entities because they have many facilities that were in place before the ADA became enforceable. Well, what happens with those facilities? Well, they weren't designed under ADA standards. Because of that, they're not going to comply. So somehow they have to be brought into compliance. And that is through program accessibility. The idea is this. Uh, the US Department of Justice in enforcing the ADA understood that public entities would never have enough funding to remove every single barrier to access, every physical barrier to access. It would be impossible. So the idea of program access was developed. And it is a scenario in which a program or a service or an activity is looked at in its entirety. So for example, if you have a program or a service or an activity, a PSA, in 10 locations, those 10 locations need to be examined and analyzed very carefully to determine which can be made physically accessible because if they were designed uh, prior to the ADA, there may be issues that make it very difficult or even impossible to bring them into compliance. So program access is important because it allows us to look at programs, PSAs, program services and activities in their entirety. So including every location in which they take place. Now if you have questions, I'm happy to answer them during the presentation. You don't have to wait until the end because I know it's easy to forget them if you wait until the end. But program access is key because in most public entities across the United States, most of their facilities are defined as existing facilities or pre-ADA facilities. And then they have that challenge in determining whether they can make them physically accessible or not. When it comes to new construction, the standard is different because anything constructed after the ADA was enforced is required to be fully compliant, so accessible. Now, accessible is under the ADA as a very um, different term than one would see in building code. The term would actually be a phrase, and that phrase is in this slide, readily accessible to and usable by individuals or people with disabilities. That is not code compliance. That standard 
readily accessible to and usable by is a much higher standard than building code requires because building code has very specific limitations. This does not. So it's important to understand that the ADA and building code are like apples and oranges. They're not the same thing. They never will be. Civil rights or a civil rights law like the ADA and building code are two very different things. They have different purposes. They, they come together in many instances, but there will still be differences. There will never be an instance in which a building code will speak to every single physical issue. And that is where this standard of readily accessible to and usable by comes into play. So when it comes to alterations to these pre-ADA facilities, facilities built before the ADA was enforced, there are some caveats. So when they are altered to comply, they need to be made fully compliant to new construction standards to the maximum extent feasible if the alteration started after the enforcement of the ADA, and that's that date, 20, the 26th of January, 1992. Some of the caveats are here in these next two slides. So the term structural impracticability is not an easy one to say. I would just say that. But the important part is the structural part. It's not practical due to structural reasons to make something fully compliant. There are structural elements that cannot be removed or moved in some facilities, in these pre-ADA facilities. Generally, this is terrain related. So um, you can choose where you build a, a new building. Would you do so in an area that you could never provide an accessible route to? Well, probably shouldn't do it, right? Or you'd have to find some other way to provide access to that building. So these are all choices. When you have a choice in new construction, these are the kinds of things that you would uh, most likely avoid. On the other hand, technical and feasibility is a very common term. It's used day in, day out. It is not that dissimilar from structural impracticability, but people oftentimes think it is. It is also a situation in which you have a structural element, a structural element that cannot, well, if you read the slide, that would require moving, well, that has little likelihood of accomplishing are being accomplished in terms of full compliance because that structural element um, be in being moved um, or it being a load-bearing member um, would be part of the structural frame and, and uh, could not be moved to satisfy full compliance anyway. Now, I will say this, though. This term, technical infeasibility, is oftentimes misused. And I think, in my experience of over two decades, most often misused. And so, uh, it's important to understand that cost is not a factor in technical infeasibility, uh, and the age of a facility is not uh, whether it's ever been altered or not. So technical infeasibility, it's important to understand, is about structural elements, just like structural impracticability. In the public right-of-way, which is what we're talking about today, this very seldom comes up, I'll be honest, very, very seldom. Um, but it is something that um, I think design professionals, both engineers and architects, often talk about. So even if there is technical infeasibility, a structural element cannot be moved, which means something cannot be made fully compliant, some type of alteration still needs to be carried out to the maximum extent feasible. 
Just because technical infeasibility exists does not mean that nothing can be done. There's always something that can be done. So some governing standards, regulations, uh, are provided on this slide. It's important to understand that in California, we have our own set of accessibility regulations. We have many regulations in government code, in health and safety code, in vehicle code, in uh, business and professions code uh, that are unique in the nation. In fact, California was the home of the disability rights movement. We had our first, uh, the nation's first accessibility regulations um, in building code in 1981. So the government code that's quoted here comes from 1968, so quite some time ago. And it requires that whenever any construction in facilities that are used by the public, building structures, sidewalks, curbs, related facilities, that they have to be, again, accessible to and usable by people with disabilities. The ADE standards are very similar. We've already talked about that. And Government Code um, 11135 and Civil Code 51, also known as the UNRWA Act, they uh, have much the same requirement, but UNRWA, uh, Civil Code 51, awards damages for instances of discrimination, and the courts define that often as a, a code violation, a single code violation. So it can be costly. So earlier in the first presentation, uh, there was discussion on some applicable model codes. So when it comes to this transition plan update, we definitely have used the 2010 ADA standards because they are in place at this time. California Building Code, the second bullet is California Building Code. It's a long title, but that's what it means. And now the third one has already been mentioned today, the MUTCD, so the Manual on Uniform Traffic Control Devices. It's the building code that applies to the roadway because California Building Code applies to the site, a site on which a building is built, not to the roadway. And the roadway includes sidewalks, which means street crossings, it means curb ramps, blended transitions, street furniture, those kinds of things. So California also has its own version of the UMUTCD with more stringent requirements than the rest of the country. So the public rights away, that's what we're talking about today. We're not talking about an update to the transition plan for buildings. We're talking about the right of way, which as I was just mentioning, includes sidewalks, street crossings, curb ramps, blended transitions, street furniture, this slide provides some examples of what an inventory of the public rights of way would include. So it's important that this process looks at a network because the only way pedestrians can go from one point to another is by having an accessible network, a pedestrian access route. On a site, an accessible route in the public right of way pedestrian access route. These are some of the elements that are going to comprise the ADA transition plan for the public right-of-way. You can see how complex it is. There are a lot of elements here. So the ADA transition plan, what does it entail? This update, how is it different from the original plan? Well, we have devised a system that allows the city to use GIS 
So mapping that allows the city to look at the entire right-of-way as a whole. It's an efficient way to have a handle on everything that's going on in sidewalks, curb ramps, street crossings, as I was explaining earlier. The methodology that's been applied is going to be employing two major efforts, maintenance and alterations. As we talked about earlier, there are either existing facilities or there is new construction. Most of every city is existing, honestly. In this day and age, there isn't a lot of new development. There is some, but most cities are fully developed. And so most of their facilities are either existing or were built between 1991 and now, but the vast majority is existing. So then the way to alter them is through maintenance, so repairs, changes, or construction through alterations. Maintenance is going to play a very big role in this process because they do so much work in the right-of-way. Annual capital improvement work also will play a large role, as will the 311 app that you probably are familiar with that allows people to call in and ask for remediation. So all of these different aspects are part of this plan. All of them have a priority level. And when the city has all of this information in uh, this mapping system where the city is looked at in one overall map, it makes the entire process much more efficient. So the programs that the city provides that exist in the right-of-way are listed on this slide. You can see the city is very busy, and they provide a lot of programs for pedestrians, for the general public, in the right-of-way. If you have questions about these, Philip is here because he is the expert on the city's programs in the right-of-way. So the way in which the project or the transition plan remediation process will be prioritized are number one, through requests to install compliant curb ramps, including the Barden Settlement. Number two, walkways serving a prioritized or categorized um, set of buildings. So first state and local government offices, transportation corridors, public accommodations, remember those, restaurants, shops, places of business that the public use. Facilities that contain employers, where employees work also, right? That means the same thing. And walkways, serving residential neighborhoods or undeveloped parts of the city. So the severity of barriers, so how they affect people with disabilities, that is a consideration in prioritization as well. And in addition, the city may develop procedures as time goes on that they find uh, streamline the process, make it more efficient. So the annual commitment is already established through Barden, the 20% of the transportation fund that is spent on remediation. And additional areas of funding could come through all kinds of access improvements that take place through construction, through perf means. You know, consider that every time, like for example, the arena. Think of all the developments that came as part of the arena that benefited the city, and that was a private development. 
So a lot of changes in the right-of-way come with private development because a property owner, whether it's the city or a private owner, owns the right-of-way, owns the sidewalk in front of their building, which may include curb ramps or blended transitions as well. And those are all improved when their land is improved. So the official responsible, this is a very important person because this person fields all of the questions that come up over time. Um, they also have most of the answers, and if they don't have answers, they know where to find them. So I think Philip has been working on this for a very long time, uh, has the experience and, and the, the know-how to be the kind of res official responsible that really can get the job done. I think you all know him well enough to know that, right? The grievance procedure is a very important thing because it's really best to know where the issues are before they become big issues. It's better to know about them when they're small and when you can actually manage them and deal with them uh, before they become more problematic for more people or, uh, yeah, just difficult, very, much more difficult than when they are initially identified. So the grievance procedure is very important. It's online and available in alternate formats as well for those that uh, don't have access to the internet or may not be able to use screen reader software. So an important part of this process, and one of the main reasons I'm here today, is to talk about the community outreach questionnaire. So we have a questionnaire that we'd like not only each of you to access and fill out, but we'd like you to try and help us disseminate it so that we can get as much input as possible because the more input we get, the more information we receive, the better we'll understand, the better the city will understand what the needs of the public are and how to prioritize barrier removal over time. We've talked today, you've talked today about poles in the middle of sidewalks. This kind of thing is the kind of thing you need to talk about if this is a priority to you, right? Because there are many things in the right of way that need to be uh, altered to comply. Many, many elements. That's only one. So this public outreach effort is intended to get that kind of information from interested persons, people with disabilities, but everybody also, not just one group of uh, people who live in Sacramento or who visit Sacramento. It's not all, also, not only for Sacramentans, it's for anyone who uses the city's programs and services and activities in the right of way. It's for everybody. So you certainly don't want to exclude visitors or people who come here for events, right? So this questionnaire is available online through SurveyMonkey. It's also available in alternate formats, which Philip can help you with or help other constituents with or others that are interested in, in filling it out. It's, I'll say it again, it's very important that we get as many people to respond to the questionnaire as possible so that we can get enough information to really understand how people use the right of way, <clears throat> what their concerns are, and, and how to best address them. So that's all I have to cover. Um, and if you have any questions, I'd be happy to try and answer them. Yes. Um, first of all, we're going to go see if there are any members of the public wishing to comment on this presentation. Thank you, Chair. I have no speaker slips for this item. I have one speaker online for this item. The first speaker is Peter. Uh, Peter, go ahead.
Thank you, uh, Mr. Chair, members of the committee. I'm really pleased that the Sacramento is undertaking the um, review of the ADA transition plan. And I should mention, I am the community program specialist with the State Council on Developmental Disabilities. Uh, please send a copy of the survey to our agency. I'm not able to type in the chat, but I will uh, email someone tomorrow uh, with my email so we can send it out to our community and stakeholders. I understand there's going to be a survey monkey, but are there going to be any opportunities for people to provide public hearings or provide public input at, like, let's say hearings, etc., or any public meetings being scheduled as part of the review? And that's my question. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Chair, I have no other speakers with their hands raised. I think there was a question there that might warrant an answer or response of some time about public forums for the responses. Yeah, so I, I think I'll chime in here a little bit. First and foremost, uh, Peter, I want to make sure that, um, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email is on the agenda for this. Um, it's also on the presentation, I believe. Um, but I will make sure and get you the, the questionnaire in a variety of formats for your use with the council. Um, as far as additional public meetings, uh, we felt it was better to go through SurveyMonkey and leverage the, the broad reach of the commission here um, to get the word out to people. Uh, we don't have any uh, additional plans for, for public meetings um, for a variety of logistical reasons. We felt that we'd get a broader reach if we did this digitally. Um, but I did want to add regarding the, the questionnaire specifically, if anybody has any issues uh, accessing that questionnaire, they are welcome, welcome to call me directly. I will take their responses um, or they can email me directly. I will fill out a questionnaire for anybody who needs assistance doing so. Can I ask a follow-up for the chair? Sure. I'm good with it, yeah. Um, Please go ahead. Most, uh, usually when they do this sort of uh, update or public comment, they do all some sort of hearings and meetings. Is there a copy of the uh, self-evaluation transition plan that can be uh, sent out along with the survey? I'm thinking like an executive summary so the public has a chance to see what's being planned already and provide feedback as far as the transition plan. Um, I know we have we have a draft prepared. Um, it's still undergoing review with the city attorney's office and staff. Um, I'm going to kind of defer to Jerry a little bit. I don't see any reason we couldn't distribute that with uh, once we've had it under review. Once it's out of draft form, yeah. So we don't have it at this point. We're we're trying to get um, start the public input process and get the questioner out to as many people as possible. Once we have that outside of the draft uh, format. Uh, we'll make it publicly accessible for uh, people to provide comment on. Thank you very much. This process is different than other processes uh, that happen, so that's why I need some clarity. Thank you very much. I will say this. Um, number one, the um, survey monkey um, option is a good one because it allows us to take paper format questionnaires and input them into SurveyMonkey. It allows us to take responses on the phone and 
input them into it so that we then have all of the responses in one space. And SurveyMonkey produces demographics for us. So it gives us all kinds of statistical information about the responses. And that is very valuable for the city. So it's a tool that helps the city to better understand all of the responses and understand where they came from. They can be anonymous. They can be made um, under a person's name. That's completely up to each person that responds. But it's a valuable tool to allow us to better use the information and make sure the information is understood as best as possible. Well, well, thank you. Thanks for that presentation. There's a lot of information that I wish the rest of the world knew about some of this. That. But I'm going to turn it over to uh, Commissioner Crowley for first comments. Thank you. Um, thank you for the background, the thoughtfulness, the context. So forgive me while I look down because I want to make two points very clearly. What I heard you say and then the ask that I heard of us. So what I heard you say is the public right-of-way consultant gave a presentation wanting the DAC to be a vehicle from which the public through the website, through the minutes, through our participation is able to disseminate what was said today and the questionnaire. That's what I heard. And I also heard that there's a public outreach redesign to get as many people as possible. And there's a hierarchy in the way the transition plan updates by regulation or by the city design, existing buildings and such. And the priority was requests in the city, however they're received, trump all requests. Then after that, the state and federal, or state and community buildings, and then businesses, and then residential areas. These are just a generic thing that was mentioned during the, um, a slide. It was a project prioritization slide. And what we hear at the DAC is also that the city has revamped post-COVID the 311 as a way for anyone to record the statistic so that these requests can be prioritized, so that it's not just an email to the city staff person, in this case, Phil is, is the one listed everywhere right now, uh, or coming to the DAC or finding a way. Anyone uh, can call 311 and prioritize something that they see. And those statistics, we're waiting to see those things at the DAC as part of our ongoing communication and recommendations. But this, I highlight that because when that slide discussed walkway, and when you were speaking of it's for everyone, the residential portion of it is the last. Once, uh, if a priority is given to the request received, and then you go to city buildings and such, and then businesses and, and all that, oftentimes, and that was around the time you were mentioning things as an example, like the Golden One Center or the private owner, not that you were talking about the Golden One Center, but I, what I mean is as an example, private entity, uh, improving the walkways and such. Well, a lot of times, in order to communicate best, the DAC is just here as a vehicle to recommend to council or to receive the information ahead of time. And my thoughts were, besides the DAC, as we speak right now, the citizens of Sacramento 
have already been pre-selected and there's a city management academy happening. That's part of community development and they're all there. And then there's this new design of all the commissions. So what I didn't hear, so first was like this is what I heard and we're going to help facilitate this messaging. But what I didn't hear on the outreach is that every commission this is like rhetorical, but also wondering. Every commission got this slide presentation or this was it because it's, this is the tool in which all the other commissions or citizens or public uh, communication is being managed right now. This was it, this, this nice presentation accessible online and now we're being charged by our district chairs or zoned chairs to represent our council member and recommend get this done and the second thing I didn't hear was by when so the time frame um, I'll defer you I think the time frame is not set in stone just yet I mean we're we're gonna take a number of months collecting public input on this um, we're making this ask of the Commission because you guys are you know first and foremost citizens members of the public um, also very much plugged into to the advocacy of the issues that are represented in this effort um, and have connections within the, the disability community that we may not have readily, readily at, our, uh, at our fingertips. We are gonna send this uh, outreach and, and questionnaire out to every advocacy group we can come up with. I would respectfully ask that every commissioner on the commission forward it to anybody, post it to Facebook, throw it on Twitter, get it out to as many people as you can because we just want to have as broad a reach on this effort as we possibly can. Um, going back to one of your previous comments, I don't even, I'm not even sure this is necessarily the crux of your question, but about the project prioritization. Um, I, that slide about project pri prioritization really is with respect to all of the grievances we get. Any sort of, and we have the grievance form that she had, uh, that we, she had a link to on the presentation, calling 311 is a suitable alternative to file a grievance related to some sort of disability barrier that exists within the city. Let's say we get a pile of 10 uh, grievances or uh, complaints via 311 that, hey, look, this sidewalk isn't accessible. I can't get from point A to point B. We will then look at those and we have to assign some sort of priority. And that's when, you know, if it's in a, in a ma major area that's gonna basically affect a lot of persons with disabilities, that would take a high, slightly higher priority than in a neighborhood. In reality, these types of grievances don't come in 10 at a time. Generally speaking, they, they come in piecemeal one by one. So quite frequently, we have maintenance services going out and installing a curb ramp in a residential neighborhood because a, a, a complaint was received. So it, it's just a rough uh, rubric for how we would prioritize a large sample size of these uh, complaints. I don't know if I got all your questions. Though. Time frame. Time frame. Um, I think we want to see how the outreach goes, um, whether or not we're getting enough information back on SurveyMonkey. Um, maybe we want to bring this back to the DAC again um, to try and allow more time for public input. So I want to make sure we get a good and representative input from the affected users of the public right-of-way. Um, so I don't want to nail down a time frame for slamming the door on that process. And keep in mind also, uh, it's not only a matter of uh, ask, an ask or a complaint um, for the first prioritization, but also the commitments made under Barden. They're part of the first commitment as well, right? The first priority. And you know, that can include anything, 
to be honest. Um, we uh, have a lot of clients that, for example, have the same prioritization because it actually is recommended by the U.S. Department of Justice and they enforce the ADA, um, but they have complaints because a person with a hearing impairment that uses public transportation um, almost was hit by a car because they, they couldn't make it across the street fast enough and so the, the timing of the intersection maybe needed to be changed. Anyway, so what happened with this one instance, for example, was that um, this person who used public transportation almost daily, um, they looked at his path from his home in a residential area to the bus stops he used in back and they looked at improvements for those and they made plans to make those as a priority because it was about usability, right? So this process is a flexible one and that's really key. It's not only doing this and only doing this. It's looking at what people need today, what they'll need tomorrow, you know, what they, what they ask for because they have a need that they may not have today, they may become disabled a month from now or a year from now. So there has to be that flexibility. That's why a transition plan is a living document. It can change over time. So the city is, is looking to do exactly that and listen to the needs of the constituents. Commissioner Mercer. Yeah. Um, so thanks for that clarification that we are not the only commission that's tasked with this. Um, certainly um, some of the other um, commissions like active transport would be good to go to um, because I'm pretty well connected over on social media. I know some of the other folks over on this commission, but that's not enough to go over and get the word out. Um, do you have any sort of budget for doing things like social media advertising of this that would be targeted? Because that might be a, a good way to go over and get to that, given how granular some of the um, ad requests are. We may. I'd be interested in hearing some some suggestions on avenues to go about that. I mean, we will. I'll reach out to the the ATC as well. Um, there is, I believe, you guys have some social media efforts in your scope. Yeah. But whether it's the same kind of social media campaign you're describing is, yeah. But if you wouldn't mind, I, I would love to hear some suggestions about broadening the reach in that regard. We, I will just say that I'm not an expert over and haven't done life purchasing, but I've heard about these things secondhand, so you're not going to somebody who knows. And then um, uh, the other question I had looking at that is, do, who is our ADA coordinator? because it would be nice to know that being a DAC commissioner at this point. So the, the citywide ADA coordinator is Jamie Kinney in Human Resources. Um, there is also a public right-of-way specific ADA coordinator, which I'm listed as on this presentation, and Josh Werner had been prior to me. So it's a little bit in flux right now. We're kind of filling in the gap at that point. We also have a city facilities ADA coordinator, who's Obiaga. Uh, I don't know how long it's been since he's presented here, but um, there are a number of ADA coordinators, but they all kind of fall under Jamie Kinney. She, at the, in Human Resources, she's uh, kind of the head citywide ADA coordinator. Okay, because that's sort of like a different thing. When you're doing it over as the head of personnel, that's more about who your employees are, what you're looking at is the infrastructure and engineering issues, and um, I don't know, that's something, I, that's something that the city needs to think about and perhaps we need to think about making recommendations 
of her about that at some point in the future. I don't know. Yeah, it speaks to how broad ADA law applies. Yeah. Right? Um, and, and that's something we, sh we should know the person, and it would be nice if they came to visit us so that, you know. But I'll leave it at that. To be fair, uh, Jamie Kinney was the former staff liaison to this. Myself, former staff liaison, and then Josh Warner after and before me, also staff. So we definitely tried to keep our ADA coordinators very much plugged into the DAC. Um. Commissioner Chris Bain. Thank you, Chair, and thank you both for your presentation and your work. It's really appreciated and very important. I have some questions and then I have some comments about the questionnaire itself, some offerings. Uh, one of my questions is I'm a little confused on the, the, the real focus of tonight's presentation. We talked about at the top of the presentation, you talked about we're kicking off the public outreach, but also mixed into the agenda, we're looking at the transition plan as well. So are we just very early in the transition plan? Is that why we're missing some of the meat and potatoes of what that plan looks like? I would say no. Uh, just to back up just a little bit, we've come today not as an endpoint, as a starting point for public outreach. Just that's clear, right? So we don't expect um, this to be the only time we speak publicly about this or for this to be the only um, venue um, that we reach in terms of asking for input, number one. Um, but when it comes to the transition plan, it definitely has been developed, the public right-of-way transition plan has been developed and so this kind of public outreach generally happens either at the beginning and the end or at the end and so we are near the end. So it has been uh, developed to a great extent. If you remember the slide, I can, let's see, let me show you this one slide that shows you the um, steps. Hold on just a moment, I don't get dizzy. I'm gonna have to go back through this quickly. Ta-da, this one. So take a look. These are the basics of a transition plan So and a self-evaluation. Keep in mind, a self-evaluation and a transition plan, they're half and half of the same thing. Policies and practices uh, that have been analyzed in terms of how program services and activities take place and physical access has been looked at. So the two of them go together, right? So the self-evaluation has been completed. The grievance procedure has been developed and is in place. Uh, a person responsible is has been designated. And so the development of the transition plan in terms of identifying the physical modifications necessary for a compliance that is underway. And um, do you want to talk about the process? As far as uh, implementing changes? Well, yeah. Yeah. Hmm? So, the transition plan is more a guiding document for, we've assessed all of the barriers to accessibility in the city. And by that, I mean the myriad of barriers that exist within the city and public right away. Um, the transition plan speaks to programmatically, how is the city gonna move forward over the next, and these are, we're talking extended time periods um, to make the city 100% accessible. I mean, I think we're all realists here. There will always be another barrier to accessible travel, whether a tree root heaved up a sidewalk or smud put a pole in the middle of the sidewalk. Um, these, these kinds of things come up, but that's why this is a living document and it's constantly always changing. But the transition plan speaks to how are we going to systematically remove these barriers for, for accessible travel in the public right of way and how are we gonna track it? 
And essentially, a, lot, a large answer to that is just through routine maintenance throughout the city. Every time we resurface a road, we go through and we upgrade every single curb ramp that doesn't meet current ADA standards. And that's just one example. Um, we have a large development come in and they want to develop this block, but this block has sidewalks that are in disrepair and they're not in good shape. Well, we're going to require that development to replace all those sidewalks. These are just examples of how these barriers get remediated over time. Um, what we're also looking at, with, and she touched on it with the GIS, is that that's a mechanism to track it. Now all of a sudden we have a GIS you know, point or area shown that we know this sidewalk was built in 2023. So we can take that off the, the, the non-accessible list. It, so it's both, it's both having a kind of programmatic, schematic approach for how we're gonna work through the entire city and remove these barriers over an extended period of time and also how are we gonna document that and track those facilities as assets. It's, it's, it's not as specific as here's a bunch of plan sheets for all the sidewalk that's not in good shape in the city. It's just more of a programmatic approach to addressing these issues. It's yes. kind of weasel words there, but I think, you know, got the point across. Yeah, thank you. And I, I do want to go over um, some of the public outreach comments that I have, but going back to the transition plan, you proactively answered my question that we're just kind of at the beginning of this conversation. So I'm, I wanted to also confirm that you'll be here over time and talking with us throughout the plan as it develops. Because when I look at slide nine, the minimum requirements, number three says specify a schedule. And I'm, I'm listening to commissioners asking what's the schedule. There's no names in the org chart. I'm listening to commissioners ask who's, who's doing what. So I'm trying to figure out how can I offer the most value in tonight's meeting, in tonight's presentation. And I'm seeing a lot of gaps. I'm seeing a lot of gaps like the scheduling, like I said, org chart. Um, Philly, you said how, the, there's a lot of how what's missing from the presentation. And I'm just wondering if that's because we're just in the front end. There's 31 slides and what I can see, there's just three that really get to the heart of what we're doing, what's actionable. And so I'm hoping that um, this, this, there's a slide in here with a list of programs. I'm hoping to see more on what, what those programs are actually doing to help us through the transition. There's a lot of policy in here and it's really appreciated. We don't all know all this by heart. We're all learning, which is great. But what, where's the actionable part of this? It's a, it's a difficult question to answer, and I don't know if you want to jump in on this one. I'll, I'll take, okay, I'll let her, you can clean up all the gaps that I leave. Um, the how is difficult, because like I said, the how can, can occur, any one of these barriers to accessible travel within the public right-of-way, the how could be a number of different things. It could be an outside en entity, it could be one of our capital improvement projects that comes through and fixes it. It could be private development, and quite frequently it's our own maintenance forces. Um, so we, we kind of set, set out a, a lengthy time frame, um, which I don't think is, is we've nailed down yet. But I mean, we're talking on the order of, you know, 50 years to get as, as maintenance and development and all these other things work their way around the city, uh, grievances, uh, complaints from the public. I mean, all of these things play a role into going one barrier at a time. And, and removing them and, and incre uh, increasing the overall accessibility of the public right-of-way for all modes of travel, really. Um, so there's no specific how, I don't think, to be found in the transition plan um, other than just some programmatic approaches in that regard. Yeah, and I think um, one of the ways that the commission can add value is to really look more at the how, when, what, where, 
So hoping to see that in future presentations. Thank you. I'm gonna transition into some comments and feedback for the community outreach questionnaire. There's already been some feedback and I, and I agree with what the commissioners are saying. It sounds like we haven't fully developed the outreach plan either. And we're kind of working on that. SurveyMonkey sounds like a great tool. It's very accessible to a lot of people, um, but it does, it needs to make it out to people and it needs to be even more accessible. And so that's one of the ways that we can offer some feedback here. So I wanna start with the very top, which is awesome, says the questionnaire is also available by request in an alternate format. But I have to read a couple of paragraphs to get to how to do that. So I would just really encourage you to make that a lot easier. Just put it right up front. You know, uh, if, if, we're, if we're excited about and developing the digital platform to collecting feedback, then let's leverage the heck out of that. Why, let's have videos posted. Uh, there's just so many things. I'm not, again, um, like Commissioner Mercer, I'm not a marketing expert, but it seems like there's a huge opportunity there that we haven't tapped. So, if we're going to go digital, then let's go digital and let's go digital hard. Let's set all the commissions all up. Go ahead, Phil. Oh, just one, and going back to Commissioner Mercer's comment as well, um, that, that I should have touched on during that comment. We, we will absolutely be engaging with the city public information office um, okay. and having their assistance in getting some of this information out using social media. It's like, because I myself obviously am not an expert either, but they are. Um, we will be leveraging those resources in the city. And that goes back to that how, what, where, when, that we're, we're looking for more, I think, in the presentation. Um, okay, so also, you know, ableism is everywhere, and I see it, I see it in this questionnaire. Um, Sacramento's a very walkable, bike-rideable community. I've brought this up in previous meetings on different presentations. Uh, disability community does more than walk and ride bikes. There's so many other things that happen. Um, disability can be uh, related to age. Uh, strollers were mentioned earlier, um, aging populations, shuffling. There's a lot of different um, ways that Sacramentoans are accessing the city. So I don't know that very walkable and bike rideable is gonna pull in a lot of the disability community. So some thoughtfulness with, with regard to that. Um, targeting groups, we talked about that. Let's see. Um, also, my responses may be published towards the end of the questionnaire. I had pause on that. I was trying to figure out what that meant. I think what you're asking is for permission to publish the answer. And if that's the case, then I would actually recommend two boxes one that says, I authorize you to use my information, or the other one is, I do not authorize, so that it's really clear, and that doesn't scare people away from sharing. I understand your concern. I would formulate it a bit differently because we need to take any information that anyone provides in SurveyMonkey and turn it into demographics. So what we perhaps should do or could do is anonymize it or make it um, make the person's name available or let them have that choice of remaining anonymous and using their information because if we can't use their information then why are they filling the survey out? Hmm? So you know th that keep in mind that has to be clear so they can do so anonymous, anonymously they can do so by using their name either way because one way or another we need to use the information so does that make sense? Yeah and I think maybe just rewriting my responses may be published 
Yeah, and let me explain what that means. Much for the yeah, that might frighten everyone. You know, it's not on Facebook or something. But what that means, though, is the self-evaluation and transition plan report document will contain these responses. Not necessarily, well, the demographics that we get out have a very elongated version that has every single response, and it has a version that has responses by percentages. So the responses by percentages we include as an appendices or as multiple appendices, right? Uh, but we don't necessarily have to, uh, and don't include them um, with um, each response in the person's name or whether it's anonymous. Um, so we're going to be publishing it because the transition plan is a public document, a, a document of public record. It's going to be published. It'll be on the city's website perhaps. It'll be available to those who ask for it. So it's, it's going to become public, but whether, but, but I think it's, it's no issue whatsoever if someone still contributes their comments, their, their thoughts, then does so anonymously so that we can continue to use their information as part of the demographics. Does that make sense? Yeah, it just, it's got a box. It looks like a checkbox. My responses may be published, so it's just kind of clarifying that. Yeah, we will change that to make it more clear so that it's either anonymous or it's not anonymous and that, that everyone's go. information will be used. I go. think everyone needs to understand that. It, it's because it's, why, why answer it if we can't use the information? We, we need the information. We're asking for it, so we need to be able to use it. But, um, and it needs to go into the report as well. At least we, we think that it needs to but the way in which the, um, the, the level of information that comes from the surveys that go into the report, that's the question. And then two final comments on the questionnaire. Uh, just again, a, a reminder from our community that uh, disability sometimes can't be seen, can't be physically seen, and making sure that the questionnaire um, for people that don't read or have an intellectual developmental disability how, you know, think, think through how are we going to support gathering that information. So turning people to a questionnaire may not be the way. And I think I heard you say earlier, you, you are doing interviews, you're offering interviews. So finding a way to make that very forward and very accessible. And, and then just finally, and I, I feel like this is one of the more, more important things that I wanna offer tonight is the disability community in my experience, I can't speak for everybody, we go through waves of exhaustion. Um, we are no strangers to grievances and um, pushing back and asking for what we need. So I would just ask that, you know, and I've heard other people ask this tonight, make sure that the work isn't being put onto the disability community because we, we're working very hard. We're working with the school districts. We're, we're working with the police forces, we're working with insurance, we're working with medical specialists, we're working with the regional center, we're working with the county. Work, 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 work. We're exhausted. Please take some of that work and do as much as you possibly can. Thank you. Thank you, I, I appreciate those comments because first and foremost, I mean, we, we gave this presentation for a variety of reasons, but first and foremost, we want to do everything we can to broaden that reach and get as much input as we can and those are valuable insights to make sure, making sure we can get as much as we can. Commissioner Tuzon Boyd. Good evening. Thank you for your presentation. First of all, um, the Disability Advisory Commission has had this item on our follow-up log since March 2021. So um, it is great to get an update from you this evening. Uh, I was wondering if either one of you can answer the question, what year 
is the document that's currently posted on the city's website from the summary of self-evaluation. Do we know when that document was created and posted? It's not marked or signed what's posted and been posted on the website for many years. Yeah, me, Jerry, and Serena are all <laughs> looking at each other. <laughs> I can say this, I can, if, if the right-of-way was done at the same time as the transition plan for buildings was done, it was 1994. That 1994, possibly, but we don't know. Well, the buildings, uh, we've worked with the buildings as well. We've worked with the city since 2003, and so those, that transition plan was completed. It started in 92, and it was completed in 94, from my recollection. So I'm guessing somewhere within that time frame. Is, is the original plan that we're now updating. It predates my time at the city, but I'm gonna find <laughs> out and I'm gonna email the commission. Okay, that'd be great. Um, so the council, according to uh, meeting minutes, the council approved the contract for the work on this um, self-evaluation and transition plan in October 2019. And so um, what this kind of speaks to some comments by Commissioner Crespin, what is missing tonight is um, a detail or an accounting of the work that's been taking place since that contract was approved. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Tonight was really focused on policy and why this work is occurring, but not so much what you have been doing since the, the, the pro I guess the project was approved for this particular pass. You wanna go first and I'll fill sure. the gaps? Okay. Right, go for it. So keep in mind 2019 was the, uh, just prior to the pandemic, right? So there was a lot of downtime. Uh, but past that, I will say the city was busy during the pandemic and actually did quite a lot for this transition plan because they were able to use um, staffing that was working in developing apps, developing technology that enables the use of GIS to track this information. And this is, I will say, a novel approach this has not been done in many places. We're collaborating with the Federal Highway Administration on this process, uh, and the, uh, the people that we're collaborating with also worked at the Federal Access Board developing the public rights-of-way accessibility guidelines. So these are the nation's experts. And this process is one that is being looked at to apply nationwide. So the idea, like old school, when transition plans were first done, I've been doing them since I finished grad school, um, it used to be that we went out and measured everything. Everything, every sidewalk, every inch, right? Um, but the right-of-way in buildings are very different. Buildings are pretty cut and dried. You know, they stay in one place, right? Not the right-of-way. Tree roots, erosion, freeze-thaw cycles, all kinds of things happen that change the right-of-way constantly. Not, not the same in buildings, right? So um, for the right-of-way, um, the process it just doesn't make sense the same pro to, to apply the same process to the right-of-way that you do to buildings. And so we have thought through this for a couple of decades. Does it make sense? Because what we used to do, and even with technology today, we use a, a laser surface profiler that takes 40 measurements in less than a second as it rolls through the sidewalk. We can do that and generate millions of data points um, for that moment in time. But keep in mind, as well, saying this transition plan will be in place for 40, 50, 60 years, perhaps longer. What do you think is going to happen with that sidewalk over that period of time? Do you think that the data that we collect today is going to be usable? Maybe, maybe not. So why, why do that traditional old school method when it really doesn't suit the, the conditions that are pervasive in the right-of-way? 
So what we've done with the city is to look at every asset they have in the right of way. They were able, because they have really excellent staff, I will say that, to not only catalog everything, every different element, but put it all in one place, which is GIS. But they also use GIS for everything else. This is not unique. You know, when it comes to buildings, oftentimes the building transition plan is a standalone. It's not correlated with capital improvements or maintenance or alterations projects from many different departments, but this is different. This is a, a one-stop, a, a single place where all of the data lives. So when anything happens, whether it be maintenance or an alterations project that's generated through many different means, that information on the barriers to access are, are on, on the physical elements. Let's, just to be clear, on the physical elements is in one place, so it's easily accessed. So this process, the way this plan has been done, is not only cost effective because it didn't cost the city to have the entire right-of-way uh, profiled by a laser surface profiler, um, but it's all cataloged in one place. And this is unique. I'm not sure if any other entities in the US have done this yet. We've done this with one other very small city, very, very small in comparison. So this is a, a, a very large city with huge assets. Thousands and thousands of, uh, well, not no, almost 2,000 miles of sidewalk, a lot of, a lot of elements. So this, this gives the city a very unique position to move forward from and a very efficient position to move forward from so that every time they do any work, they can go into GIS and see what's there and know what they need to do. Just piggybacking on that, because the, the 2019 sounds like forever ago, and I think we can all agree it was forever ago. Um, I'm not gonna pretend that the pandemic didn't slow down the effort at all, um, but I, I do wanna highlight a lot of the really background, highly laborious, really boring work <laughs> that went into, that was being done during that time. It involved as much as having um, staff review curb ramp data throughout the city. Um, and even visual inspections of curb ramps, at least this curb ramp doesn't have a dome, kind of verifying our, our certification forms, because we do have a ramp certification forms. This effort's all about asset management, whether it's a traffic signal, whether it's a sidewalk, whether it's a curb ramp. And we actually had a pretty solid data set for curb ramps. Then we had to start reviewing what kind of asset management tools we had for traffic signals. Um, we have now a GIS layer that shows every traffic signal in the city. As of right now, that GIS layer does not have a field to say whether or not those traffic signals have audible pedestrian signals or not. We're going to add that. That's gonna be one of the recommendations that comes out of this process. Um, similarly, we had link, I mean, I don't know how many meetings we had with our maintenance crews asking them, how do you track your concrete work? Like, and they have now come up with their own GIS module and you can go highlight an area and see every portion of sidewalk that was reconstructed since, you know, in X time frame. Um, but putting, kind of taking inventory of the tools we have or the tools we were missing was a big part of that time frame there. Um, and it was really just, there's a lot to talk about, a lot of different uh, divisions to coordinate with. Um, so a lot of that was going on during that time frame and the pandemic slowed us down a bit. So I would say that all of that information is very valuable and would have been a really welcome part of tonight's presentation to get a sense of what level of work and depth of work has already been going on and what you're looking at. Um, what I do wanna comment, there's been a lot of mention of the GIS and um, where is that? 
There are other outreach efforts um, for projects, as you're probably familiar with, Philip, that um, have uh, have deployed that GIS as part of the comment, the public comment period, um, whether it was redistricting or uh, Streets for People projects, and um, that's not before us tonight. So I'm, I, the question is where. Um, you may not be able to answer that now, but that should be part of your community outreach and engagement process, especially since you're talking about engaging with not just the disability community, but the community at large. And I, I already see it being done. So the question is, um, if not um, part of this project now, uh, please include it going forward. Um, I do also want to comment on the, the lack of information on the flowchart. That would be helpful as a member of the DAC to know who uh, is serving in those roles during this process. Um, and to clarify, I guess we've, we've kind of already talked about it, that we don't truly have a citywide ADA coordinator. We have somebody who holds that title, but that individual specializes in an area of ADA, much like you do and others who work in the city. Um, I know that our commission in the past has had um, staff that held a title of ADA coordinator that was kind of outside of that HR role, um, but we have um, advocated for that position in the past, and it sounds like um, members of the commission support that as well. Something like this really lends itself towards having an individual with that umbrella vision that can bring all of these players together and all the areas that you're trying to incorporate in this self-evaluation. And again, looking forward to the next 50 plus years. Um, I heard a lot of discussion or comments about programs and services, but also the emphasis on the physical. And so I wanted some clarity on what kind of feedback are you seeking from the community, whether it's individuals with disabilities or not. Um, are you seeking feedback in regards to programs and services or just specifically physical plant spaces, um, streets, sidewalks, um, or is this a really a, hol a holistic self-evaluation and plan? So Programs and services is a very, very broad term. Um, I believe sidewalks are considered a program by FHWA. Um, so this effort is strictly focused on the public right-of-way. So the built-out public environment, which has entirely different requirements than on-site California Building Code. Um, it It is difficult. I, I Your ADA coordinator comment is, I, I don't disagree with you, but I don't want to short sell Jamie. I mean, I wouldn't have a clue how to talk about ADA requirements when it comes to hiring. I just, I'm not sure a singular person can encompass all of the technical knowledge for the broad spectrum that is ADA. And I, I, I do think Jamie does a good job, but the, the, your guys, not to dissuade you guys from your request in that regard. Um, but yeah, this, this effort is largely focused on the public right away. There, uh, I think you know facilities has their own self-evaluation and transition plan, which when they get around to updating that, we'll have them come before the DAC as well. But specifically for the purposes of the public outreach, we want to hear about the built-out public right-of-way environment, the roadways, uh, you know, roadways, trails, anything that's public right-of-way. Um, we want to know about any barriers that exist in the city. So when I, just as a follow-up to that, when I look at that, pre, that 
existing self-evaluation document that's posted to the city's website. It incorporates a lot of different things, um, documents, access to meetings that are not uh, physical space um, heavy. So I guess that maybe that's a question for another day or for the follow-up log is, you know, are those other areas being looked at? Because we've talked about access to our meetings, access whether it's online or in person, um, you know, where does this particular effort fall in relation to that document that includes a lot of different things that we're not talking about tonight? And I think that was a very early document. And I think, you know, as the years progress, we kind of got a handle of how broad and how complicated this ADA issue really is. Um, and that's when you started seeing entities like the facilities division have their own plan. IT has their own accessibility plan as well. I mean, it, these different realms of city business kind of each ended up realizing they needed to have their own uh, evaluation and transition plan for how they make their portion of the city business accessible to persons with disabilities. Um, so that would be my guess. Uh, having, not, having not been around when that document was written, I would imagine it was written as kind of a broad, expansive document. And as we got further and further into ADA law, we kind of realized these other entities needed their own business-specific versions of that. Okay. Um, you mentioned there's a draft document with legal and that can be released. Um, is there an, uh, a time frame when that draft document w might be um, available to review? I don't want to nail that thing down until we feel good about the public outreach effort because uh, that may dictate modifications to that document based on the, the input we get back. Um, and without putting a specified time frame on our public outreach effort, you know, they're kind of linear in that regard, so I don't want to promise that. But what I will promise you is we will be bringing it back to you. So I would, I would counter with it might be difficult for members of the public to know what they're commenting on without there being a draft document that um, explains to them, similar tonight, as you did tonight, where this self-evaluation and transition plan um, comes from and is headed, right? Um, you know, members of the public are not likely to take the time to necessarily watch this whole meeting, go through your slides, and understand the history, um, nor have they necessarily been at Active Transportation Commission meetings, um, Parks and Rec Commission meetings, or our meetings to um, benefit from the presentations that we have seen, you know, over the years. So for what it's worth, um, I believe there are other projects that have put something out so that members of the public have an idea like what you're looking for, right? And I understand that you have questions there, but uh, a context, providing a context for the public. Um, so that being said, what's really lacking is an outreach plan. I will say that a SurveyMonkey poll is a great tool, but it is not a true poll because only the people that get it and share it and receive it are responding to it. A true poll um, involves hiring somebody who can, um, whether it's by telephone or you know email or something sent in your mail, <clears throat> get a cross section of your community and that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to reach, as you mentioned tonight, not just the disability community but also the public um, at large. So 
consider that, that that it's not a true poll, and in order to be a true poll, you need more than individuals on the DAC, and even your own outreach efforts to get a, a true sense of the um, public input. I have heard that the city has been disappointed with the lack of um, input from the disability community in regards to the streets for people um, outreach efforts, and so I would just um, suggest uh, circling wagons with the folks working on that particular outreach effort to identify you know why that is occurring why are you not as as a, as the city getting um, what you feel is good response from the disability community um, we did I don't know did we have streets for people come to us I can't remember um, but I think that's what Commissioner uh, Crespin said uh, speaks to that issue, um, that dependence on the disability community to do the outreach um, as opposed to going to Society for the Blind, State Council for Development Disabilities, um, Alter Regional Managers. Um, there's, and I know you requested that we share um, those, those um, entities with you, but um, again, that is the disability community. Um, other commissions have been mentioned, active transportation would be great to take this to them, parks and rec as well. Um, you know, I don't know if there's, um, if, the, if the senior community has um, a commission that correlates. I know there's the Ethel McLeod um, Center, so they might provide um, feedback. Um, and you did mention engaging with the city's PIO staff. It would be great to hear what they're going to do. There's lots of opportunities with articles in the City Express and social media. But again, um, our presentation tonight isn't going to inform the public on what you're looking for from them necessarily, um, other than the ask to complete this survey. So. I have one comment. Um, so it makes a lot of sense for the active transportation committee to be um, to be brought into this process but keep in mind this is about the public right-of-way so I'm not sure about Parks and Rec uh, do they have a lot of overlap with the right-of-way probably a very small amount they have a lot so of physical they have facilities. physical facilities but that's that, but understand Different. physical facilities are one transition plan and the public right-of-way transition plan is a separate one so that that's key to understand so if we are and we're not going to be able to do a lot of or a lot with the information that they provide on those facilities because we're not speaking to them right now. So um, it would be super helpful if you could help us to understand what committees you think of that that could provide useful input that have to do with the right of way. They have to do with sidewalks, street crossings, those kinds of things. So that that's an important part because the the buildings, um, the transition plan for the buildings still needs to be updated. And then when that happens, these other committees they would be visited, should be visited, should be brought into the process without question, but they're two different plans, if that makes if that makes sense. It makes sense, I guess. I would like to know how many transition plans there are and when will they be coming to the DAC since they involve <laughs> supporting the disability community, which I know you can't answer tonight, Philip. Yeah, I can only, I can only <laughs> speak to this one, but I, I did want to touch on something you mentioned about the streets for people. The same group, of staff that worked on Streets for People has actually reached out to us today uh, looking for groups such as Society for the Blind, all, all of the advocacy groups that they can reach out to to make sure that they're getting uh, adequate input from the disabled community on their, their current, a different, separate current endeavor 
um, which I would imagine they'll be bringing to the DAC before too terribly long. They're looking at temporary accommodations for pedestrians during construction, which is, I know, been a hot topic here. Um, and they were, they uh, specifically reached out to us just asking, hey, we, we, we got groups X, Y, and Z. Are there any other groups that we should be reaching out to to try and get comment on this? And I would extend that request to our effort with this transition plan. Um, if anybody has, you know, these advocacy groups that they want to make sure that we reach out to, um, I chant quite frequently these groups are already going to be on our list, but you may catch one that we missed. Um, it's that I don't want to put you guys in the position of having to do all the social media heavy lifting, call your friends, fill out the survey. I just those are the kinds of tips that you can just help us have a broader outreach. And I've done a lot of outreach in a lot of different ways for some of my construction projects, and I am a hundred percent. And I've missed people every single time I've done outreach. It is such a difficult chore to reach all the people you want to reach. So those kinds of, of tips, um, if you wouldn't mind emailing me some of those, because I want to use it both for this effort that we're doing right now, and I want to share it with that effort to make sure that they're getting out to the right people as well. That sounds good and sounds fair. Um, Streets for People has the GIS. Um, they're using that as part of their uh, request for uh, public feedback as well, so people can go on the map and mark um, areas of concern. They have also had some outreach um, in terms of public meetings, some community-based. I could see that that might look like um, maybe the Regional Advisory Committee for the State Council on um, Developmental Disabilities, um, which uh, Commissioner Crespin currently sits on, um, and uh, the, mem the Peter Mendoza makes public comment. He staffs. Um, that committee um, and you know getting that feedback uh, from the public I think they also streets for people was doing a couple of zoom um, outreaches as well so um, that in itself might be more accessible to members of the disability community if you work with um, getting the word out so you really it's working with that um, PIO team with the city of Sacramento where they have that reach and um, ability to publicize something like that for you. Sounds good. Thank you. Commissioner Chand. Thank you for the wonderful presentation. Um, I appreciate the initiative to have a starting point, I guess. So I have two questions regarding the public outreach effort. How long is the survey going to be out there for individuals to take? Like, is, what's the time frame look like? That is, as of now, undetermined. Um, but I would like to keep it up there for at least a couple months. I don't know what you t your typical practice is. Yeah. Well, for federal uh, notices, it's a minimum of 45 days, a minimum. Okay. So. And I don't, I don't have any intention of truncating that. Um, I, I think we're pretty desperate to make sure we get as much valuable input as we can. Um, and I'm not on some deadline where I need to hit a, a funding timeline or anything. I wanna make sure that this gets out to as many people as it possibly can. And uh, will you guys be sharing like a link or email for us to share? Yeah, absolutely. That's the beauty in SurveyMonkey is it's a link that you can email or text to anybody. Uh, but we also wanna make really clear that the alternate formats are equally important. So paper formats, large print formats. Um, so uh, we, we need to also understand the, the community and what alternate formats are readily 
um, re requested, yeah, and then provide those. So that's important. As I said earlier, for every project that we do, we, we get paper um, formats back. And we're happy to do that, take them and then input them um, directly into SurveyMonkey ourselves so that we, so our staff um, can do that and then we have a full set of demographics. That's important. So we definitely want information from everybody regardless of the format that they're going to use to comment. Okay, and that's something that would be like provided to like the regional centers or something that they would have to offer their clients, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we can provide paper comments, PDF comments, I will be a professional stenographer. If somebody wants to call me, I'll fill it out myself. Um, yeah, we, we want to make sure people can get their voice heard. Um, Thank you. Commissioner Crispine. Thank you. Just a very quick follow-up to Commissioner Tucson Boyd. She was mentioning earlier maybe parks and recs. So again, from our perspective, um, we need to access the accessibility, if that makes sense. So that part of readily accessible, the public right-of-ways are the transition to, to locations like park and rec. There's not really a hard line where you go from the street to the park. Our community tends to have a lot of gear. We need a lot of space around our vehicles and we tend to drive to places um, like some of these corridor improvements that you heard earlier and we hear in other, other of our meetings we need a lot of space and we need an accessible transition into the accessibility, if that makes sense. So maybe um, if, if I could offer that, you look through that lens when you decide where to outreach, maybe that park um, can't really give input on the right-of-way, but to reach the park, we have to be in the right-of-way. We need parking, we need, you know, we were even talking about driveways going through sidewalks, it's, there's driving, you know, so again, just, just a, a little bit of a different lens when, when we think in terms of um, scopes of work. Those right-of-ways are actually really important to us. Parks being the destination that is accessible by public right-of-way. By public, everything's by public right-of-way. Thank you. Okay, well, well, thank you again. Thanks for being here with this presentation. It's very informative and I know we all look forward to the the next steps and participating and helping as we can. You haven't seen the last of us. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, we're going to move on to uh, the next part, which is commissioner comments. Um, I just wanted to get this on the record. Um, it was a discussion we had before the meeting, but I wanted to get it in the minutes. Uh, first of all, thank you, C Commissioner Williams, for being here and supporting us tonight. Um, We've asked um, Jerry, uh, Mr. Hicks here, to follow up on the ordinance relating to boards and commissions that came out last year. Um, I remember prior to that, I myself, commission had expired, and um, but I was not replaced, but I was told I could keep attending these meetings until my seat was replaced. It just so happened they voted me back in, so I came, so here I am. But um, ordinance uh, section 2.40.060, it states very clearly to me that a commissioner can remain seated until they are replaced through the official process. So um, we had that conversation on August the 2nd. Uh, it was a discussion that I had with the city clerk's office and presented that case since that time. Um, the commissioner that we were talking about, Kennedy, then was allowed to attend meetings based on that conversation. Since 
there has been no formal response saying, yes, that is okay. Um, I'm asking to get that clarification now because um, it's pretty clear to me, and if I misunderstood it, um, we need that cleared up. The, the um, Boards and Commission was very well laid out for us at the beginning of this year on how we, how we act, so um, I want that on the... Now it's in the minutes because the conversation happened before the recording started. Um, is that the agreement, Mr. Hicks, that you are going to follow up on that? Yes. Thank you so much. Um, I think this commissioner comments are going to cover a few a few subjects together. So may, maybe in the expedience, rather than go by commission, we'll go by subject, um, if, if that works. Um, we do need to talk about the, um, it's missing from this, is, is our annual report. We, we brought it up at the last meeting. Uh, we talked about input to that. We thought we might have some feedback for this meeting. We need to agendize this until we get this right. But I think um, we all gave some comment on the first draft. I think it's still, you can still give your comments. I think you'll have to go through Jesse and give those comments. We did agree, unless she decides not to agree anymore, but Commissioner Boyd was going to draft that final document based on comments and feedback, which we got last time. But we're going to agendize this until we get a report that we're happy to send forward. So it'll be on the agenda until we get this done. We had some sense of urgency uh, to get this report done. We want to get this report done. We want to be heard, but we're not going to shortchange ourselves with content either. We've been waiting many years to get this audience. So, um, so before I go into my next, I would want to know, no, I'll, I'll go this way. Okay. Some good comments tonight on the presentations. Um, we talked about all the commissioners. I just want to remind folks that we do have th we have we have had three one one on the follow up log for a long time. Now we're going to want this grievance one because we want to know that data. We also don't just work with with um, public works and the parks. We we do do work with the um, HR department for their inclusive hiring practices of this city's HR department too. So we're asking for a follow-up on that um, inclusion as well. So all things are game to this commission for that. I'm going to um, move over to other comments. Um, some may be related to what I talked about and some may not. But uh, Commissioner Crispin, you're up next. That is rich in qualities, a person most desires, and one which shows how connected we are all to each other. They are hosting their 37th annual conference. The theme this year is inspiring unity through common goals and creativity. And this year's conference is being held October 26th through 27th. You can go one day or both days. It's an in-person conference and it's being held at the Wyndham Hotel in Sacramento. 
You can find more information, www.supportedlife.org. You can send an email, info at supportedlife.org. And the second event that I wanted to share, Disability Rights California is a nonprofit organization founded in 1978 that defends, advances, and strengthens the rights of individuals with disabilities across California. They are having their second annual gala on February 28th, so coming up at the beginning of next year, also in Sacramento. And um, this gala is a gathering of people from the disability community, policy, social justice, governors, or I'm sorry, excuse me, government representatives and social justice leaders. So be on the lookout for that as well. So again, that's February 28th of 2024. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Mercer. Okay, a couple things. Really quick, um, I wanted to go over and note the death of um, PE teacher Pam Courtney um, at my school in Hubert Bancroft Elementary. Um, Pam was, um, she's the only PE teacher I've ever run across who was paraplegic and was quite an inspiration to students. Um, I'm sorry she's not around this year in particular because um, one of our students um, that we gained this year over at our school um, has a significant um, mobility disability and it would have been, I think, very good to have her around to go over and um, show him what was possible. But beyond that, just she was such an important part of our community beyond um, being a PE teacher. There are many things um, that she spearheaded, including student council and some other things over on our campus that um, I know will not be the same without her. Um, and so I wanted to go over and take this moment to go over and um, note her death. Um, there'll be a celebration over at Bancroft Elementary on Saturday the 16th at 11 a.m. Um, parking's going to be limited, so we're advising carpooling, but the public is welcome. Um, the next thing I wanted to um, ask is just about um, communication. The first thing is it would be very helpful for me because I don't do well with paper <laughs> um, to go over and get slide decks of staff presentations um, in electronic form. It could be after the meeting, that's fine. Um, it doesn't have to be during. Um, and uh, also, um, if I, it would be helpful too to get a clean list of the links over to the survey monkey that they want us to go over and talk about. Um, so an email um, after the meeting would be helpful for that. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say about the, just really quickly, about that annual report is that I did email something to Josh and Jacob about input over on the Golden One. How should I be, who should I be getting that to? You have to go through yes. Jesse now. Um, okay. If Joshua or Jacob has it, kindly ask you to forward it to Jesse. Yeah, it was sent on the 16th of August. Um, well, it might be easy if you just Send it to Jesse. I can go again. over and yeah. do that too. Yeah. So see me afterwards and I'll go over and get that to you and um, we'll go over and leave that alone. Um, and then um, finally, rounding things out, last time there was a discussion of AB 2097 and we um, went over and uh, nominated two of the commissioners to go over and sit on um, some committees looking into that. Some of the information presented there um, 
uh, sort of prickled the ear of um, one of the speakers that was coming here over the Golden One issue, who is a state Senate staffer, although he was not working on that specific issue, and he went back to Governor and asked about it. And um, I know this isn't going to be decisive of it, but I wanted to bring up um, section 65863.2, subsection F, because the implication that, that what was implied by the city staffer who was here is that new multifamily residences could go to zero parking, um, uh, and that meant no ADA parking. And that um, subsection says that it's not supposed to go over and reduce, eliminate, or preclude enforcement of any requirement imposed on new multifamily residential housing, and I won't go into all of it, but accessible to persons with dis disabilities that otherwise would have applied to the development if this new section wasn't in place. And so I want to make sure that that's noted before decisions are made about what the city guidelines are, because it, it does need to include ADA um, over in it. And um, whoever wants the subsections that they can go over and read it and take it off to that. I know this isn't depositive, but I'm providing it as some information because uh, I think it's important. And I would hate to see us later facing lawsuits because we were under the misapprehension that ADA parking did not be, need to be provided to residents. Okay. Thank you very much. Vice Chair Crowley. Uh, hi, everybody. I have uh, a question, which is one of the citizens of this wonderful city had a very busy schedule and didn't have a chance to make a public comment. So the comment comes next. Yeah, so I just wanted to identify before that public comment, uh, the disclaimer is it happens to be my daughter <laughs> who has had, uh, who has had a chance to follow all of the modernized ways to request things as a citizen and to see them implemented. So I'm just saying that as a disclaimer. And uh, very glad to know that um, this is the type of format where that inclusivity of public comment in different formats is available. So that's encouraging. Um, and the only other thing is, um, November 4th, Brentwood South, and November 4th, there's going to be a community gathering um, from, with support from Council, we hope, uh, Council Maple's uh, staffer for things like um, having barriers for safety and the surrounding area. So it's the Land Park Pocket, South Brentwood, near SEC, City College, that area. So as that is developed, I'll give updates on that. And then the last thing is, the community development request was to be participating in some work that the DAC would be informed. I haven't yet been informed. So I just wanted to let the, the commissioners know uh, there's nothing to report yet, and so I'll be sending out an email um, as things start to move for the fall. Um, both. Commissioner Chand and I, I don't know if you have, we haven't talked about it, but I'm mentioning it because I've seen no emails. So I didn't want anyone to think that that went to the wayside. I think there's a meeting that's supposed to be in, sometime in October. 
Commissioner Tuzon Boyd. Thank you. Um, first, I wanted to welcome Jesse aboard. <laughs> Quite a meeting for you to uh, staff for the first time, so welcome. I'm hoping that after this meeting you will um, email all of us so we have your contact information so we know how to track you down. And um, I wanted to give a shout out um, since uh, our chair hasn't done it himself for Pride Industries which is holding an I Am Able Disability Job Fair. It's welcoming employers and individuals with disabilities both to participate. Um, you can reach out to him for more information, but it's October 18th at McClellan Park. And um, it's a unique job fair. It's in person. So um, please share with your networks. Um, I had the pleasure to present on disability awareness to the uh, staff um, of the Yolo County Library System with Peter Mendoza who um, comments um, frequently at our meetings and um, that was just a great opportunity to share uh, different perspectives on um, serving the public. Um, I know Commissioner Crespin and Commissioner Crowley are really good at bringing that um, trying to get us to focus through a different lens um, and, and keeping in mind individuals that both have um, physical barriers but um, may have invisible disabilities. Um, and the team at the library was super excited and you could hear the buzz after our presentation um, of the, the folks just brainstorming almost immediately after how they can better serve um, the disability community. Um, the follow-up log should be on our agenda every meeting, so I just want to put that on the record. Uh, it should be a standard. If it's on the chair's script, it should be on the agenda. Um, the um, report to the council, uh, I had the opportunity to read and um, watch most of the city council meeting where the Active Transportation Commission's report was presented by city staff. I highly recommend that you take a look at what they did um, and share your uh, feedback to Jesse on how you would like our report to look. It was, as you recall, our discussion was um, a hope for something a little more robust. Uh, it was certainly that, and their recommendations were for the city moving forward on um, active transportation issues and topics and the public turned out to comment on it. So um, it really is not just an opportunity to share the work that we're doing, but to finally bring to the forefront and give um, a voice to some of those things that we would like to see in our city on behalf of those folks that we represent here on the dais. Um, so please, if you have time, take a look at that and give Jesse your feedback so that uh, it can be incorporated um, in our report. Um, and then finally, I want to thank um, Commissioner Williams for being here. Um, you know, uh, our chair has already asked for follow-up, uh, but uh, I do recall the presentation when um, city staff came to us with the update on the ordinance. It didn't mention an issue with quorum. And I do want to, um, you know, just say into the record that due to the nature of the individuals who serve on this commission, there are times when we are pulled away, even though we would like to be here. And um, 
we have not had an issue with quorum since we've been fully seated, but that has not always been the case because life has its demands. Um, Commissioner Crespin mentioned that earlier, um, and um, we never know, right, when we're gonna be here or not sometimes. And so I think it's important that if um, potential commissioners have not been interviewed yet by the PP&E and or approved by city council to fill the seats that commissioners Kennedy and Williams uh, occupied, that they should be allowed to continue to serve as per the ordinance. And thank you. The couple of follow-up comments to some of those comments. Um, Thank you for mentioning the job fair. Um, this is the only one in, in America that's done a, a job fair for people with disabilities. And I'd just like to say that jobs for people with disabilities has a direct relationship to independence in many, many cases. So this is important, a big thing. So thank you for mentioning that. Um, yeah, thank you. Now to the best part of the meeting, the highlight of tonight's meeting. One moment, uh, Jacob Bredberg with the city clerk's office. Sorry to postpone the public comment here. Just one moment. Um, we did receive, uh, we had previously received some applications for the, uh, for this commission um, uh, f uh, that will be interviewed at the September 19th uh, personnel and public employees committee meeting. Um, now, since the seats opened back up in I believe mid-July. Um, we didn't receive any additional applications. However, the we still had valid applications from the last recruitment. Uh, they had previously interviewed, and they will interview again at this at this next meeting. Um, so, all of those folks were um, vetted by staff at the time um, and deemed qualified. They presented. Uh, they they did their interview in front of the PNPE uh, committee back in February, I believe. Um, and then uh, um, Jesse has also been provided uh, those applications uh, as well, and I believe has reviewed those. So, um, so yes, anyone who wishes to attend the September 19th uh, Personnel and Public Employees Committee meeting, uh, that will be held at 3 o'clock on that day. So thank you. Thank you. That would be before our October meeting. So if our seats get filled, um, they get filled. And if that's the case, then... Thank you, Commissioner Williams, for all your service. It's been an absolute pleasure. If we, if we don't see you again this side, we'll see you that side. Thank you. Um, I did have one other thing. October's second meeting, I will not be here. Vice Chair Crowley, you have, you have the gavel. Yeah, um, but we can schedule the, um, the agenda meeting with Jesse prior to that, so I will not be here. Now, thank you all. Um, over to public comments. Do we have any public comments for matters not on the agenda? Thank you, Chair. I have one speaker slip and I have one speaker online with their hands raised. Uh, the first speaker is Karina. My public comment, uh, sorry if it's blurring, okay. Anyway, my public comment is uh, that 
the new time that um was on the street um twenty twenty fourth street thank you um well the new extra seconds is just amazing. And I'd like to thank everyone here, including my mom, for that. Thank you for your wonderful comment. Makes my day. Online? Uh, online? Thank you, Chair. Our next speaker is Peter. Uh, Peter, please go ahead. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Members of the commission, again, my name is Peter Mendoza, and I'm uh, with the uh, State Council on Developmental Disabilities Sacramento Regional Office, another community program specialist. I just wanted to follow up with uh, members who saw boys' comments about our upcoming regional advisory committee that will be on October 10th from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., and also... Uh, um, Member Susan Boy was her immediate past chair. She did a great job, and I want to honor uh, Stephanie. Member Summer Christmas, Robert, she does. The purpose of the Regional Advisory Committee is to bring people uh, together with intellectual and developmental disabilities and family members who serve on the committee to really hear from the public what's happening in their local region that's impacting our value community members uh, to coordinate services and supports and to make sure that people have the right to be to be fully included in all aspects of community life. The advisory committee also provides input on policy issues on the local level and also on the state and federal level to the state council on developmental disability. Uh, this is a great time for, for example, one of the things that we have on the agenda every month is the spotlight. So we hear from various community partners. For example, recently we heard from members of the Sacramento Police Department about a class that's taught in the academy uh, that really to educate officers on how to support people with disabilities. And so it would be wonderful for um, city staff to come and talk about not only the uh, review that's happening now, but the importance of transition plans at the meetings. I'm going to send an invitation out, and I know I'm out of time. Good evening, and thanks for allowing me to speak. Thank you, Peter, and thanks for your continued support and attendance at our meetings. Um, I would like to thank the members of the public that were here tonight. And I think a round of applause for our public speakers is appropriate. Thank you so much. As always, thank you, city staff, for being here tonight, taking time out of your day. Thank you to my fellow commissioners. Thank you for all members of the public online and to all our presenters. With that, this meeting is adjourned. <laughs>